I'm Tom DeSorcy. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. This is Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Many firefighters, or I guess fire officers, often admit to accepting change. However, I think the adage goes, I'm happy to change or I'm happy for change, but I don't want to change. I guess that's the way I should be saying it. It is uh, the topic today on the podcast and uh, John Liatis is uh, the a columnist contributor to uh, to Firefighting in Canada. And it was the column on generational change recently that I, I guess, piqued my interest in a term that I use quite often and joining us uh, from Rocky Mountain House, uh, Chief, uh, a pleasure in Alberta. Nice to have you on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. Now, uh, I always talk and we'll talk about the topic of change and, and in particular generational change, but I always like to know about your area and where you're uh, you're the chief of, and you're a regional chief in, in the, uh, what is it, Clearwater County? Yeah, that's correct. I'm the fire chief in Clearwater County. We are located about 80 kilometers west of Red Deer, and if you look on the map and I guess look at the size of our area, we're considered the second largest rural um, response department in the province. We're just over 18,000 square kilometers of response area, what five stations cover. And our headquarters is also kind of a six station because we're very fortunate to have one of two of the WUI wildland urban interface teams that the province supports as well. So we're humbled for that opportunity to have some specialists on our force as well. So it's a, it's a great opportunity, a great service a great community to live in. Um, we are a heavy presence in the oil and gas industry as well here in this area, but we also have the mountains on our back door. So it's a very unique department that runs about a thousand calls a year and it's fun. We have a, a great team. We have local search and rescue there that does some excellent work where we have joint water rescue task force and a joint rope rescue task force that we work directly alongside as well with the RCMP. So our members get to do all the fun and uh, exciting things that the fire service has to offer. That's for sure. And it's a humbling opportunity to be in the the front seat, helping drive this ship and lead them into the, into the future. You, uh, you likely have some challenges that are unique to your area that I guess some other departments in Canada may not face. Uh, I mean, a lot of departments do a lot of things. What's the biggest challenge that you think is unique to your area? I think, just demographically where we're at with the diversity of calls that we have, it's literally kind of the Bermuda Triangle of Alberta, I guess you could say, with um, the types of calls that we would get. I've been with this team now for just over a year, and there's been a time frame in the same day where we're responding to floods one minute, then wildfires the next minute, and then a tornado touchdown the next minute, and then we're in the backcountry doing rescue in the mountains. So the challenge is, is not knowing what's next, but also ensuring that the training is at that above par level to meet the the physical demands of what the community asks from us. So definitely something that keeps you sharp and on your toes, a huge passion of mine. And I know a lot of the members of our service train at a very high level, and we're very fortunate to have that support from our council and from the members of the community to be able to give back in that capacity. So how many years for you in this crazy business? I'm coming up to... 18 years this fall that I've been in emergency services. Um, my original background was from Ontario. I spent the uh, first eight years in Haldeman County, which is just outside of Hamilton in Southern Ontario. And then I looked at the fire service as an opportunity of where I really wanted to grow. And I think most of us can say that the longer we're in the service, the more we realize we really don't know what we don't know. 
So it became a learning opportunity and a journey for me. And one of the biggest things that I've been humbled with is having the ability to learn, train, teach, and work across North America with some of the best best the business has to offer. So it's cool to be able to give those skills back and take that to a new level and share that information with somebody that might not have had that opportunity. So it's it's a great experience to go from one end of the country to the other and see how different organizations operate and be able to share that information with others who are willing to learn and grow in their profession as well. So your department, or I guess departments that you oversee, mostly uh, paid on call volunteer or is it all composite? So we're, I guess, would fall into the category of a combination department. So the organizational structure that we have here is myself as a chief. I have currently two deputy chiefs, a deputy chief of operations and a deputy chief of support services. And then I have a assistant chief of training full time that falls under the ops structure. And then we have our three full time admin staff that are definitely the glue of the department that hold us all together. And then we have our four career full time uh, wildland urban interface specialists as well too. And then we have approximately a hundred paid on call firefighters. So over your past 18 years, uh, clearly you have likely seen change. Uh, I guess maybe have had to enact change. <laughs> is there, is there a bigger change or a big change that you've seen over 18 years? What's been the challenge? Uh, and we'll talk more about generations, but it, you know, you're dealing with a lot of moving parts. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great question, uh, Tom. I think if I look back to my rookie recruit days and to where I'm at now, I know a lot of us get to have different perspective. Um, some people grow up in the fire service and literally start as a rookie and then retire in the same service and put all those years into one department. And I really respect those individuals that have had that opportunity to do it. Um, me, I'm kind of the unique avenue of that. Um, I like to diversify myself and look at always opportunities to grow. How can I encourage a team to be better? How can I continue to learn something new? Because the fire service is really evolving. Um, whether you're looking at stuff with occupational health and safety, anything other the outside of the NFPA, um, anything really in between, everything's evolving. And I think social media has taken that to the next level. And I think that's probably one of the key key performance indicators that really jumps out to me from when I got started, social media didn't really have a huge presence in the fire service. So it was kind of like, this is how we train. This is how we're going to train. I don't care what the neighboring department does. I've done it this way for 30 years and it's not going to change to now. It's like, well, wait a minute. I saw this on Facebook. I saw this on Instagram. I went to this conference and I saw that I went to FDIC and I saw that. And now the the old school mentality of leadership in the fire service is kind of being backed into a corner because that generation, you either have to fit in and step up, or it's very, very hard to navigate those waters when you have movers and shakers in your department that are hungry for knowledge. I wrote about this a number of years ago, and I I speak to, in fact, I heard about it. I was reminded of it at a recent conference in BC where I speak of moss and grass where we had issues in our department in the early days where I was amalgamating three fire departments into one. And the issue was the older members didn't want to advance, didn't want, and only a couple of them didn't want to move forward where the younger, newer ones wanted change. They wanted to learn. They wanted, and I was fighting the old guys. And I thought to myself, no, I need to treat this like moss and grass. I need to ignore the moss, feed the grass, give it what it wants. It'll become strong and the moss will go away. 
and it did. And so I was able to focus my energies on the positives of the people that wanted change. I mean, we had to change. Do you find that in your case, did you, have you seen that over the years where you've had to change or it's come to you, as you said, people bringing stuff to you and saying, Hey, we need to do this. That's a great question. When you look at it as a whole, I think that really has two parts, I guess, how I would answer that question. The first part being, you're always going to have a certain demographic, whether it's a small percentage or a larger percentage, that's the vocal community within your fire service that really wants to impact change for the right reasons. And then you're always going to have the people that sit in the back room that kind of follow suit. And you're also going to have on the other end of the spectrum, the one or two people that don't like change. And that's just the nature of our industry. And I think that's one of the biggest things as a teacher, as an educator, as a mentor or a leader in any capacity within the fire services is you have to be able to cater to all different types of learning styles and you have to be able to influence people in a way where they want to be a part of the change to really truly make that change effective in the fire service. And that's where I believe that building relationships and having that transparent communication amongst the team is really what's going to allow you to grow and impact that culture change. And I'm seeing it with our department here, um, which is really good to see is there's a large younger demographic within our service, but the senior members within our service still hold a huge value. And I like your analogy with the moss and the grass. It's awesome when you see 25, 30, and just recently a 35 plus year member voice their opinion that, hey, you know what, this new stuff really works. And being a younger chief in the fire service that's only been around a minute in this industry, it's a humbling experience to know that those 25 plus year veterans can say, I'm glad you took the opportunity to show something new. I really see this works. And that never would have happened 20 years ago when I got on the job. Your definition, if someone came comes to you after you, you wrote the column about generational change, your definition of generational change in your mind, what does that mean? I think... The definition of generational change to myself is having the open mindset to truly understand the positive aspect of change. A lot of people typically associate change as a negative. And if you can influence people to always have a positive perspective first and truly understand what the meaning of that change is for, then it's really going to impact the whole service it's going to be more received easily. It's going to be something that when someone speaks negative of it, when you have that small percentage that doesn't like change, if they're in a group setting voicing their opinion, if there's a six person group and that one person's like, I don't feel that this change is for the better. Or I don't like this. And they're trying to make us change. If the heavy majority influences them in a positive way, your, your analogy of the grass and the moss is naturally going to attrish like it's way out that way or so. I like seeing that happen in that capacity. So I kind of focus my my plans on the, the vast majority of the service instead of the minority in that same capacity, I guess you could say. Are we are we doing our job in terms of bringing in new people and expecting them to be around for a long time? Or have we had to change ourselves and say, we know they're only going to be here for a couple of years if they're moving on to a career or if they're just giving back to their community, it is not going to be a long time. I think each community offers something special to the fire service, whether it's in a paid on call capacity or in a career capacity. Um, It's evident, like even nowadays, the recruitment and retention being a big topic that a lot of departments are facing struggles with. Um, The career side, I remember when I was applying to my first full-time career departments 17, 18 years ago, there was 2,500 applicants for less than five positions being posted in Southern Ontario in the GTA region. 
And people are like, you might as well go buy a lottery ticket. You're going to have a better chance of winning the lottery than getting on fire. And now the demographics changed. And the way the training is, the expectations, the term for the most part in the majority of communities that are modernized is you can't just be a t-shirt firefighter anymore with a pager and show up and learn as you go. Like there's structure, there's requirements, there's occupational health and safety things that come into place. So we're getting, I feel, a better quality of firefighter nowadays, but it's harder to find them. They're not as readily available. So when you really focus on the educational piece during your recruitment, I think that's really going to benefit the service as a whole for the longevity of what you get your return of investment on that individual candidate for how long they stick around. And most of them are transparent and it's okay to ask those questions. Like, what are your intentions on getting on our service? If they voice their opinion saying in the next three to five years, I want to be a career firefighter and they're applying for a paid on call position, at least you know what you're getting into. And if you really have a strong training program, a transparent leadership style that may benefit you and come back around, whether it's one, two, three, four years down the road, and they might be one of the the two hatters that's frowned upon in some areas, but it's a huge benefit in other areas at the same time. I was openly criticized for that approach, you know, in a small community where, and I, I've recently wrote about it, it's where I said, you know, we want to be forthcoming. We want full disclosure as to what you're getting yourself into for, you know, signing up and wanting to be in the fire department. And a lot of people that said, no, that's not for me would then publicly go out and say, I was turned down. I wasn't accepted. It was that negative response. And again, we're just being honest because we invest a lot of money in an individual that shows up to be part of the fire department and a lot of time. And we want to make sure that is a, I guess, a money well spent, correct? I would have to agree with you for sure on that. And I think when you have a high functioning team and establishing transparent standards and prerequisites, to a job posting, I don't see why the fire service would have to be different than any other profession. So say you work for a city or a county, if they post a position for a specialized trade and fire is a specialized trade that requires a lot of training, which we're all aware of, it would be in the same comparison. And even if you're hiring somebody brand new that's willing to be trained, would you want a welder, for example, somebody that has to have fine hand skills coming out of school with just YouTube training and no hands-on skills? And I feel that that comparison can directly relate with your recruiting and retention aspect on the fire service side of things is when you have all your true definitions of what your wants and needs are from like a chief's perspective of what they want as an individual candidate versus giving everybody a fair shot, whether they're going to make it or not in a physical demanding position that requires a, a aspect of fitness and knowledge and like specialty skills, there needs to be a minimum standard. And I'm a strong advocate for that because in today's day and age, we have to make sure that we're protecting the employees. So if somebody's not physically capable of doing the job, we need to either be able to accommodate that or make sure that they understand that when they're in the application process to know, hey, is this really for me? Because you could ask me um, if I wanted to go be a professional parachute jumper, and I'm probably going to say no because... I don't have wings and I'm not a bird and I belong on the ground. So I'm more comfortable in that aspect. Just like not everybody wants to run into burning buildings. So it's really educating them on what they're getting themselves into. And I think that's a big portion of that. I think my version of generational change has always been that anything I want to implement, it will take time for people to move in and the uh, and the older members to to move away to move out, you know, almost like the school aspect where, you know, in a small community, 
kindergarten kids start in the school and if they're going to be in the community for a long time, then chances are you'll see them through the whole system. Yet as that group moves through the system to grade 12, you know, there is another group coming behind them. That's the, the other side of generation because you have a different demographic, a different type of people. Have you found again with the, with the younger people coming in that training them is easier or is it more difficult in terms of their, their, I guess their need or their desire to learn? I really like that question. I guess when I think about it in that, that aspect, you're still going to get, you're not getting one cookie cutter individual for each thing. Like our recruitments, for example, like we'll have individuals in their early twenties, but we'll also have individuals in say their thirties, forties, and even fifties at times that are physically fit and capable of doing the job, but they have different perspectives. And I, that may be on their upbringing. I grew up on the farm. So it was kind of like, you do what you're told, you keep your head down, you work your butt off and that's going to get you to where you need to be. And I think a positive outlook on today's generation of the younger ones getting in is when they're challenging the older members. A lot of departments typically see like their training division or when they do a recruit class, it's typically the old boys or the old girls club that wants to kind of have an easy weekend training or the people that are truly passionate about giving that information and paying it forward. And I absolutely love it when the younger generation engages and challenges the instructors and says, explain this to me so I understand better. Or can you tell me why we do it this way so it helps me process things in a better way so I can be a better firefighter. And when I see that and you have the right instructor giving that information and taking that extra time to really lay that out, that's an investment in time. That's like like solidifying the foundation of that person when they're in that growing phase, when they're a sponge absorbing everything they can that early into their fire service career, whether it's paid on call, volunteer or career. Are those the moments that make you a proud chief? It, it really is. Um, I like to be engaged. I'm not the type of individual that sits in the ivory tower and dictates how everything goes within the service. Um, I spend a lot of time jumping in on training nights. I come in and I still put my bunker gear on weekly with my team. I like to show up on scene. I like to show up to training nights. Like, And it's fun. And I, I really, 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 truly believe that leading by example really holds a lot of merit in the fire service as a whole. And when individuals from your service reach out or even from neighboring services and you hear rumors like, hey, I heard that chief goes on calls with their members once in a while or they'll throw a pack on and go in the burn tower with the recruits and stuff. I really think them seeing that the officers still have the skill set to do it or the knowledge and experience to take a rookie under their wing and truly invest that time into them, that to me matters. Because I think back 18 years ago to certain members that helped me with my pump ops course or different things like that back in the day, those things are what really stick. It's important to to obviously engage, but it's also important, and this is the message we're passing along to the to the listeners across Canada. The message I think I, I'm getting out of you, and maybe you can confirm, is that you need to embrace change, but maybe sometimes you don't have to force it. Is that correct? That's correct. I think I think you need to really embed yourself. You need to be a part of that change, but in a positive way. You can be on the inside or the outside of that vehicle change is happening because you're not going to stop change and i think if you're directly involved and in trying to have that positive focus and your whole team's aligned with that that's what's truly going to impact that generational change because all of us are going to get old all of us are going to retire and new generations are going to come in and if you don't invest that time teaching them the true values that you learned before you step down and step aside how are we going to build this fire service going forward with the right mentality and the tradition and everything else that's involved with it 
a final point and your opinion how's the fire service in canada in the future are we are we in good hands i would like to say that the answer to that question in my personal opinion is yes i've truly been humbled by some absolutely amazing individuals that go above and beyond to educate pay it forward and grow and a lot of people i think social media helps that you know what i mean when people naturally see the cool, the fun, the sexy part of firefighting, I guess you could say with the live fire and the auto extrication and rope rescue and all that cool stuff that most people like to see on TV. But people naturally see that more. I think that's going to help with their, uh, the recruitment and retention. That's really going to help bring that generation together. And when people see other people actively doing more stuff in training, that's really going to help hold certain training officers and chief officers accountable for the program that they deliver within their service. Because I am a strong advocate for training being the most important key component of taking your department to that next level. If there's no positivity around training, then it's very hard to grow. And that's one of the things I've noticed in the past with some departments is, is they come in, they have coffee, they do truck checks and oh, it's been two hours already. There's no point starting anything. Let's just hang out for another hour. And that's not the right mentality to have. Those coffee days are meant for not when the whole crew's staying there and the rookies are sitting there hungry to be trained. So I kind of would leave off with what I referenced in the article there. And one of the biggest things that I always ask officers when I'm kind of having a coaching and mentoring session with them is, is would you want you to be the one training you if you could go back in time? And then I always pause for like 10 seconds after and let them speak first, because that really helps set it in. It's like, wait a minute. And that's that kind of aha moment that most of us need to have and then be able to self-reflect. I appreciate your time and thanks uh, for joining me, Chief. Excellent. Thanks for your time as well. It was a pleasure being on. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. For more episodes, visit firefightingincanada.com.